This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen into our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan Pierce. I am with the Salem, Massachusetts law firm of Pierce, Pierce and Napolitano, where we focus our practice on the representation of injured workers in industrial accidents and workers' compensation claims. If you listen to our show in the past, we have discussed a variety of issue on, issues on Workers' Comp Matters. Uh, sometimes we focus on the legal end of things, and other times we focus on the medical end of things. Today's show is um, on the medical end. We have a wonderful guest, Dr. Michael Ackland. Dr. Ackland is a sports medicine specialist who concentrates his surgery on complex problems of the knee and shoulder. He specializes as well in arthroscopic surgery of the knee and shoulder and a fair number of sports-related injuries. Dr. Ackland performed his medical school and orthopedic residence in Ottawa, Canada, and at the University of Toronto, and received his fellowship at the prestigious Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, and he is a board-certified uh, orthopedic surgeon by the American Board of Orthopedic Surgeons. He is a member of the Department of Sports Medicine at New England Baptist Hospital in Boston. He has served as an orthopedic consultant to the Senior Pro Tennis Tour, and his patients have included professional hockey players from the National Hockey League, Olympic athletes, and professional golfers. I've come to know Dr. Acklin in his role as an appointed impartial examining physician by the Department of Industrial Accidents, and he has examined a fair amount of injured workers in his capacity as a treating physician, in his capacity as a, an examining physician for attorneys and insurers, and in his more neutral capacity as an impartial physician. So. Having said all of that, Dr. Ackland, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Well, thank you, Alan. Uh, doctor, I want to begin by something we kind of talked about before uh, the show, and that is my observation over the perhaps last five or ten years or so of my practice, uh, that injuries and claims involving the shoulder and the upper extremities seem to have taken uh, more prominence. Uh, as I think back of the, uh, my client population and work injuries, I would say that uh, most of my injuries are orthopedics, and most of those are spine-related, cervical, lumbar, thoracic. Uh, but over the years, it's been the knee and maybe hand and elbow that uh, I've seen a lot. But I, it seems like the last five or ten years, I've seen a lot more shoulder injuries. And I'm wondering if that's true, and if so, why, and whether it is a function of the way our labor force has changed, the way work has changed. I know there's been a lot of attention over the years to how to properly lift and a lot of training. But from your perspective, where you are treating all parts of the, the body, can you share with me whether or not you have seen an, a rise of incidence of shoulder problems? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think there's been a dramatic rise in shoulder injuries over the last five to 10 years. And I don't, it's hard to say whether or not we're just be getting a lot better at recognizing them and diagnosing them, which, which is true because now we use MRIs a lot. And, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, we couldn't do that. 
And uh, the, the other issue is just our, once we started doing shoulder arthroscopy, that opened up a whole lot of information for us because all of a sudden we could probe and feel things and uh, look at it directly. And with an arthroscope, believe it or else, you can see far more than you can through an open incision. So I think, I think it's a combination of things. Now, we're not making this catch-all diagnosis that we had 20 years ago. Everything was bicipital tendonitis, in other words, an inflammation of the biceps tendon. But now we break it down into all sub-diagnoses and, and treat them accordingly. Yeah, let's talk about those sub-diagnoses because what first comes to mind as a, I guess I'd say a quasi-layman, somebody who at least uh, has a, uh, a small amount of medical knowledge gleaned from just reading medical records, I think the thing I most commonly associate with an injury to the shoulder is a tear of the rotator cuff. And I know that's not the only problem my clients are having, so perhaps you could give us a little... Um, tore through the anatomy of the shoulder given the limitations of audio rather than visual? Well, I, I think probably looking at the most common pieces of anatomy that we'd, we'd be interested in, it certainly would have to start with the rotator cuff. And, you know, there's four muscles to the rotator cuff, and the commonest one that's torn is the supraspinatus. But the, the point being that with the overuse injury, it starts with what we call impingement, where we just start pinching on the tendon and it starts to get inflamed. Uh, particularly with overhead work. Uh, anybody that does work overhead, like drywallers and electricians, are particularly at risk for that. Uh, and then if you impinge long enough and keep pinching and rubbing the tendon long enough, you're going to tear it. Now you've got a torn rotator cuff. And the torn rotator cuff can be a partial tear, uh, where you have some treatment options, or a full thickness tear, in which really we tend to address those surgically. What's a symptom complex? What, what are the patients coming in and complaining about that would give you, before you even went any further, a suspicion that there was a, either a partial or a full thickness tear? Well, I, I think uh, usually they're more symptomatic with overhead work. They're usually more symptomatic at night, so they have some night pain uh, after they go to bed, and there's a bunch of reasons, uh, anatomical reasons for that. It's usually, believe it or else, in, in the age group over 40, it's usually not a dramatic event. They may, they may say, I did this, and I had a little more pain or something, but usually it's over time, and it, it, it wears, and, uh, and with the pinching of the tendon, it gradually gets more inflamed, and it, it can happen over a period of years, and then finally one day the pain increases, and they've got a tear. Yeah, and, and most jurisdictions, and again, workers' comp matters, uh, we go out to all the 50 states and perhaps uh, beyond that. Some uh, states uh, and some systems are a little more rigid with respect to a definition of injury, but I think most jurisdictions now deal with the concept of repetitive uh, injuries as opposed to single traumatic events. Uh, would you say that, in general, injuries to the shoulder more commonly fall into the repetitive use category as opposed to the single trauma? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sure, there's the dramatic fall from scaffolding, and these can occur, and they do occur, and the result in rotator cuff tears. but I think for, for every tear you get, you know, four of them are going to come from repetitive trauma as opposed to the one from a, from a fall. And when the a patient presents to you, are they presenting to you, and I think you, you touched on this a little bit, uh, in reference to a specific event that may have brought on a, a, an increase of pain, do you find that in taking your history of what they do in terms of activities, uh, that the relationship or at least the, the concept of a possible relationship to work comes out? Yeah, and, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because there's certain occupations which are much more prone than uh, other ones. Um, but, but, yeah, you know, the history is important. 
you got to find out everything that they're doing, and you got to find out how vigorously and how many times they're doing it. You may do something that's not that bad, you wouldn't think it would cause, but if you do it 2,000 times a day, then it's going to give you grief. To what extent is the role of just the normal aging process, the degeneration of, of, of uh, uh, tissues and tendons and, and cartilage, and the intersection of repetitive use combined with the, the aging of a population and the normal uh, wear and tear of, of uh, normal daily life? Well, you know, it's probably a question that I get asked in almost every other patient by either the insurer or, or whoever, um, and, uh, or sometimes when I'm appointed by the court to try and determine which, which is the more predominant factor. But, you know, I, I do believe there's a, a concept that you have to take patients as you see them. A 50-year-old patient is going to have, you know, an aging rotator cuff. He's not going to have the same rotator cuff that a 20-year-old has. So then you get into a little bit of a balancing act to figure out how much of this is just going to happen anyway, and how much is it because of the repetitive nature of an occupation. Before we get into some of the treatment options and the recovery courses, let's talk about a couple of other diagnoses that seem to uh, emanate from the shoulder area. And the things I have seen are uh, something that has been termed a frozen shoulder. Right. I'm wondering what the actual diagnosis clinical diagnosis is, or is that, is, is that simply a layman's term? What does that mean? Well, the term fro- frozen shoulder is kind of a layman's term, but it's a, not a bad one. And uh, what it means is that you've gotten uh, repetitive, uh, uh, well, often repetitive injury. It's, interestingly, a frozen shoulder usually does not come from a dramatic event. It usually just starts to occur. And what it is is the inflammation and adhesions and then the, you know, the shoulder is painful, the patient doesn't move it as much, and uh, before you know it, they can hardly move the shoulder at all. It's fairly dramatic, uh, the loss of uh, range of motion of the shoulder. So adhesive capsulitis is the other ner- uh, term that's thrown around along with frozen shoulder. They're almost interchangeable. All right. And, and uh, do adhesions mean development of scar tissue? Oh, absolutely. You know, when you, when you scope these, uh, the, the treatment should always try to conservative. Um, with physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, injections, and that. But you often have to go in and scope them and cut the adhesions. And when you go in there, they can have a quarter to half an inch thick scar tissue that's just as uh, uh, strong as, as a ligament. And it's just, it just binds them right down. And they're not going to get their motion back until you go in there and remove that. Now, normally, I think of scar tissue as building up as a result of an incision or a surgery where then as the body heals, it, 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 it replaces a, a tissue with a scar tissue. In the absence of any type of direct impact, how does one develop adhesions? Is it just as a result of repetitive movements? Well, you know, we use this term idiopathic, and it really means that the idiot doesn't know what the pathology is. It means we, we don't understand it. It, it just starts. And uh, that's probably the, the commonest origin right there. But the, the idea is that the inflammation, if there's inflammation from repetitive use, it can start from that. And once the inflammation starts, then you get the inflamed tissue inside the shoulder. Usually at the front, uh, there's a, a groove in the front of the shoulder where it tends to accumulate uh, in the anterior gutter. And then once that starts to happen, it's kind of a vicious cycle of, more inflammation, more pain. They use it less so that it builds up some more and uh, then they get into trouble. Now, 
I know most of our society are broken down into people who are left-handed or left-hand dominant or right-arm dominant. Um, is it usually follow that the person who's right-arm dominant develops pathology, especially as a result of repetitive use in the, the extremity that they use most? In other words, finding right-arm pathology in people who are right-handed as opposed to left you would think so, but the answer is no. And, I, and let me maybe explain why. I think of a carpenter, a right-handed carpenter, and you say, well, he's going to be using his right arm all the time. Well, what's he hold the board up with? He's using his left arm to hold that board up into place so he can get into as much trouble with that. It's actually his non-dominant shoulder is going to be the heavy lifting shoulder, and he's going to use his right hand to hammer the nails. So, you know, you can go back and forth, but there's really not much of a difference between the dominant and non-dominant side. Before we get into treatment and the need for uh, perhaps uh, revision surgeries, let's talk about maybe a couple of the other anatomical problems people are running into. One, one other diagnosis I see a lot are slap lesions or slap pathology. And I know somebody isn't being slapped by, uh, by a coworker. What, uh, what does slap mean? And uh, tell us a little about that diagnosis. Sure. Uh, slap is uh, the initials S-L-A-P. And it's because we get a little tired of uh, saying superior uh, labrum, anterior to posterior. Labrum is a cartilaginous rim that goes all the way around 360 degrees around the socket of the shoulder joint. That's called your labrum. At the top of your shoulder joint, your biceps tendon comes in and anchors right into the top of the shoulder joint right at the socket inside the joint. And that's the scene of a lot of trouble. And you can either tear your biceps or you can tear that rim off. The biceps pulls on that cartilaginous rim. And when it rips that cartilage rim off the top of the shoulder, we call it a slap lesion. And it's getting, you know, it's being diagnosed more and more. We've learned that we have to do an MRI arthrogram. People will do a plain MRI and say, well, you look good to me. And they, know they don't see anything. But if they add dye to it inside the joint, then we can make the diagnosis of a slap tear. Is that something that can be treated uh, conservatively, which means pre, uh, without uh, a surgical intervention? Or, or generally speaking, does that mean uh, you go under the knife or the arthroscope? Well, they're, they're categorized, as you might imagine, there's everything from mild to severe. They're categorized one, two, three, and four. One is just a little bit of uh, slight tearing, no big deal. And we would probably tend, uh, tend to treat that conservatively. Whereas a, a two and above, they st- it starts to actually rip right off. And I would say two and above, we start to look at at you know, your age and your physical demands and how it's going, but, but generally they, those need to be fixed. All right. I think this is an appropriate time to take a short break. Uh, so uh, we will come back in a moment or two and continue our discussion with Dr. Michael Ackman. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. 
Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. With me today is Dr. Michael Ackland. We've been talking about orthopedic injuries, primarily the shoulder, and the impact of work and repetitive work on various diagnoses of the shoulder. So we've talked about uh, frozen shoulder and rotator cuff and uh, slap lesions. There's another phenomenon I've, I've seen, which is I've seen it used by doctors, the phrase overuse syndrome, and I've seen the other arm affected by the additional load that that arm has uh, taken on during uh, recovery from or treatment for uh, the affected shoulder. Is that something you can perhaps comment on? Well, it, it's a fairly common event, actually. And, you know, you got to step back a little bit and just use common sense, which is, you know, if you have two arms to do all your activities and then one of them's out of commission, so now your other arm is doing twice the load that you are now, you know, submitting your uh, so-called unaffected extremity into a lot more uh, work and overuse than you should be. And as a consequence, uh, you know, we say that that is attributable to whatever injury caused the uh, original side to be affected. Yeah, I can tell you that I've had more than one, probably I can think of a half a dozen or a dozen claims uh, where we have run into, my clients have run into problems with the other side, whether it's sure. uh, the leg or the arm as a result of uh, increased load or increased use. Let's talk a little bit about treatment. Somebody now comes to you they either through your uh, evaluation clinically and, and the response to maneuvers as well as the diagnostics. You diagnose um, uh, rotator cuff or any of these other uh, uh, conditions. Tell us about the treatment. Is conservative treatment always done first to see if uh, how much progress it can make or sometimes do you go right to surgery or is it something you really can't uh, give a blanket uh, statement to? Well, you know, it, it obviously would depend on how severe it is. If you have just a little bit of impingement, and we talked about that, that's just a little bit of a pinching and inflammation of the tendon, I think you must try conservative treatment. And it would start out probably with a cortisone injection in the shoulder, some physical therapy, some anti-inflammatories, you know, uh, so-called activity modifications, stay away from heavy lifting, certainly stay away from overhead activity. So, you know, we could try all these conservative options and hope it gets better. On the other end of the spectrum would be a full thickness rotator cuff tear. If I see a full thickness rotator cuff tear in an, in an active, and it's funny as I get older, the definition of uh, whether it's a young or old patient changes as every year goes by. But if, if you're a, a younger, more active patient, then I really don't think there's much role for treating a full thickness tear conservatively. Because that's not going to heal. I mean, it's just going to get bigger and get more problematic. So that is a patient that I would say, look, I, I think you need to get this fixed. Right. And is that an open incision or is that an arthroscopic? Well, you know, it, it depends on the treating physician. I, I think the state of the art now is to do it all arthroscopic. I mean, I haven't opened a shoulder uh, in years. So uh, I do all my reconstructions arthroscopically. But, uh, you know, there's still a role. Uh, there's the, the older way of doing it is to do uh, an open incision. Uh, now they call it a mini open incision, um, but you're pretty limited in what you can do through an open incision. Really? Yeah. Uh, I know it's counter it's counterintuitive, yeah, it's isn't it? Counterintuitive. You would think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen. With an arthroscope, I'm not limited by all the tissue. If you were just, you know, if you were just something I could dissect with no concern of whether or not the pieces that I cut to get at it are ever going to function again, then I can get a great view. But the problem is. If I want to get a great view deep down inside your shoulder, I've got to cut a whole bunch of things if I'm going to do it open to get there. Whereas an arthroscope, 
I'm going to make a quarter of an inch incision, just slide it past all those important structures, which will relatively go untouched. And uh, I, can, I can do far more through an arthroscope than I can through an open incision. Of course, an arthroscope has a camera, and you're, you're viewing the interior of the, the body on, on a, a screen. Right. It's, it's kind of like playing video games. And, and uh, the recovery time, I've got to guess, is, is much, much less. Uh, much less. Much less. And, the, you know, the complication rate is much less. And, uh, you, you know, you can't say that all things can be solved with an arthroscope. There's still a role for an open incision for some surgeries, but they're very, very infrequent. Uh, are these day surgeries generally done either in an office or a, a suite in an office, or does it require an inpatient overnight stay? They're, they're all day surgeries, uh, usually in a surgery center. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about something um, that we both uh, discussed and uh, I've seen is the need for revision surgery. Right. Uh, I, if, somebody's, if I've had a client who's had um, a, 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 disc, a laminectomy, uh, usually, unless there's another level involved, the next surgery is a fusion. Uh, however, I've had clients who've had rotator cuff surgery and they are left with perhaps different pain, maybe a little less pain, maybe a little more pain, and they need uh, a further surgical procedure. Tell us what your experience has been with doing revisions or redos. Well, you know, it's interesting because without looking for the work, the majority of my practice has become revision surgery. I think about 75% of the cases I do uh, are revisions of surgeries done uh, elsewhere, and, they, and things don't go as well. And there's, there's a long explanation of why there's so many. I, I think the first of it is the shoulder, we don't have as many experienced guys out there that are doing a lot of shoulders. It's not like the knee. Uh, if you want to have an ACL reconstruction, that was figured out 20, 25 years ago. And it's got a long history and a long track record, and it's pretty well, well known how to do it. The shoulder is much more uh, recent with our technolo- technological advances. So, you know, it's, it's, it's in its, no, I'm not going to say infancy, I think we're past that, but uh, certainly there, there's just not the success rate. And sometimes it just can come from expectations. There's some people that, you know, if you're a, if you're a diabetic and a heavy smoker and you're not willing to do some activity modifications, your post-operative course is not going to go well. And sometimes you have to sit these people down and go, you got to do this, this, and this, uh, starting with quitting smoking. And, uh, you know, if they'll do those things, then they're going to have a much better shot with having their shoulder redone. And uh, for a common arthroscopically repaired rotator cuff, what is the expectation uh, for recovery time uh, from being absent from Let's just say a normal work activities that would require moderate use of the shoulder to full recovery, playing tennis and serving uh, overhead uh, smashes and serving like you used to. I, I think if all you're having is an, an impingement, if all you're having is what they call a decompression, where we basically go and take out bone spurs and we're really just cleaning it up and making room for the cuff, you know, that's pretty quick. I mean, you're going to be in a sling for two or three days. You're going to have to go to physical therapy for a few weeks. And then the results after that are quite good. But in the other end of the spectrum is a full thickness rotator cuff tear with multiple anchors. That person's going to be in a sling for six weeks. They're going to be in rehab for several months. And uh, some of these people, I say, look, at uh, you got to pass the grandmother test. And the grandmother test is if you ask your grandmother, uh, you know, hey, you know, I've had a sh- bad shoulder injury and I've had to have surgery and I've got it fixed. You think I should go back to lifting 50 to 100 pound weights over my head? Your grandmother would say, what, are you crazy? 
So it's it's common sense that, you know, some of these people just should not be going back to heavy lifting manual labor after having a full thickness rotator cuff repair. And anchors, are these uh, actual uh, metal devices that are implanted? What what is an, what do you do when you anchor uh, shoulder? Yeah, they, they used to be metal. We use uh, uh, biocomposite materials now. Uh, in other words, uh, they get absorbed by the body. Uh, think of absorbable sutures. And uh, so what it is is we make a little punch hole or drill hole in the bone. The, the problem is we've got to sew your rotator cuff down onto bone. And obviously I can't pass a suture needle through bone. So to, to anchor the rotator cuff back onto the bone, which is what it tore off of, we put these anchors, the, the anchors have little uh, threads through them. They're threaded. And so the, the anchor goes into the bone, the threads come out, and then after we put the anchor in, we pass the threads for the rotator cuff, and that enables us to uh, secure the repair of the rotator cuff down onto bone. So the, and the anchor is ultimately absorbed the way... Uh... Yeah, yeah. There, there's metal ones out there, too. I don't like them particularly. Uh, some people do. I, I think that's a matter of judgment and what, what you're comfortable with. Um, but I, but I think, uh, there's more bioabsorbable anchors going in now than metal anchors. And, um, one, one other question that just that comes to mind, I, I have seen with a lot of clients who have had, uh, arthroscopic surgery to their knees, um, uh, that, uh, or their back, uh, that they develop in later years, um, osteoarthritis, usually at the site of, uh, the area of, uh, trauma. And, uh, do you still see the same phenomenon of, uh, risk for arthritic changes once you have had the type of insult to the structures of the shoulder that require surgery? Yeah, I, I think you do. I, I think you are going to be predisposed to secondary arthritic changes down the road. Now, part of that is going to be how satisfied are you with the repair? How well did the surgery go? Uh, if you get a, a, a great reconstruction and you're very happy, they might, you know, that, that wouldn't be much of a risk. If you get a partial repair or you're, you're just not satisfied, you've You've done as good a job as you can, but it's, it's just so badly torn that you just can't get what you want with the repair. Then those people are going to be at quite a significant risk for developing secondary osteoarthritis. Now, I know with uh, clients of mine who have to lift boxes from one place to another, uh, if, if the employer is, is savvy enough to instruct people, uh, both in terms of sometimes using a lumbar belt, but certainly how to, how to lift, use the knees and not not strain the back. What are some of the things that uh, our uh, listeners can do to prevent shoulder problems, even if they have to do a lot of overhead lifting or sheet rocking or, or uh, that type of activity? How, how can you best prevent uh, somebody having to come to see you and then come to see me? What? And I, by the way, I recommend they see you first. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, you know, the, the thing is, overhead lifting, no matter how you do it, is going to be problematic for you as you age because it's just the motion and what's involved. And then if you start getting significant weights, what I tell patients is as soon as your hand is above the level of your shoulder, that's when you're going to get into trouble. And and so, you know, you're not going to see a lot of 60-year-old drywallers. You, You know, the electricians, as they get older, they want to do the lower work. They don't want to be working up over their head. I think the smartest thing to do is to try and avoid the overhead work if they can at all in the first place. Uh, other than that, if, if you know you have shoulder problems, get your decompression done sooner than later because that's such an easy operation. The recovery is so short and people do so well. 
they make room, get rid of the bone spurs, clean it up, and you never tear your rotator cuff in the first place. Now, for somebody like me who plays a lot of golf and plays a lot of tennis, neither of which I do particularly well, are there, are there some preventative exercises that, that people can do to prevent uh, getting into trouble? Are there, are there certain muscles that can, they can build up in the weight room or the, uh, uh, with the different uh, uh, exercise machines out there that might uh, uh, reduce the risk? Sure. The, the muscle you want to concentrate the most on is your rotator cuff, and of that, your uh, external rotators. In other words, if you can picture your arm at your side, moving your hand outwards, rotating it outwards is external rotation. And, and if you can get exercise bands and work on that and keep your uh, rotator cuff muscles in good tone. The other thing is keep your flexibility. You need the flexibility to avoid injury, which, again, is something we tend to lose as we age. Doctor, I want to thank you very much. If our listeners would like to reach you, or, or uh, how could they find you? Do you have a, a website or an email address? Uh, sure. Um, I'm on the website. Of, uh, if you just look at New England Baptist Hospital, I'm on the website. Uh, and also, uh, 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 Sport is Medicine is uh, our website. And uh, uh, my email address, if the listeners want to, I'll give you my uh, uh, my my. My personal one, which I think is always the easiest way to get me, is uh, M as in Michael, K as in King, and my last name, Ackland, A-C-K-L-E-N-D, and it's at me.com, which is the Apple, M-E.com. Well, thank you very much. You've been very informative. It's, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Uh, those, of us, uh, those of you who are listening to us today, we hope you'll join us for another Workers' Comp Matters show. Uh, thanks for listening today. I'm Attorney Alan Pierce. I hope you go out and make it a day that matters. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.